0: scary with your hosts, Caitlin Cutt, Gary Martin, and Adam Todd Martin. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary.
1: <sighs> Pretty Scary Boo.
0: Who indeed?
1: Yeah, this is a icky one.
0: This is this is this is a rough episode. I I can tell you that already, and we are just getting started because uh, we're talking about <laughs> talking about a pretty wild story today. That had it happened at a different point in history, I think would have been a bigger story nationwide. But even in L.A., like, does it seem
1: like this was a huge story? in LA in June of 2020. Yeah. See,
0: that's the thing.
1: I don't know. It it gives me like context, you know, I, I'm glad we're covering it. Um, it's a sad, upsetting story. Um, but I just think that truly like at this time, everybody was just so overwhelmed. I, 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 I don't know. There were, I mean, like there were so many stories like this coming out at once also like,
0: yeah, we're we're covering a police shooting, the murder of Andres Guardado, which happened in Gardena, in which is a, mm-hmm. basically Los Angeles. It happened June eighteenth, twenty twenty, which is less than a month after the George Floyd murder.
1: So, and I, I know all of you were wondering, but Gardena is almost exactly between where Adam and I live.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Just... perfect midpoint.
1: Like, exact midpoint. And Gardena is just to kind of give everybody an idea Gardena is part of what the medical community calls the cancer corridor. Mm. It is a very uh, impoverished area in uh, Los Angeles County, right along the port, basically. So, Wilmington wraps around the port, and Gardena is like right behind that. And it's rough. It's a rough place to be. It's literally the kind of place where there isn't grass. Yeah. (laughs) The whole South Bay area is basically concrete. It's really weird. And then Palos Verde's is like scary eyes, white shut bunny. I don't even know. That place creeps me out. It's beautiful, but I don't want to go anywhere near it. It freaks me out.
0: So, yeah, this happened very close to where Caitlin and I live. And like Caitlin said, there were just so many stories coming out around this time that at the time it was sort of like, oh, the L.A. Sheriff's Department shot an unarmed brown person. Not surprising because, the, again, it was the George Floyd sh- murder had happened and we were just being inundated with yeah. videos of police killing unarmed people.
1: Yeah. I also, can I ask a vulnerable and somewhat dangerous question?
0: Okay.
1: Okay. Is this because he wasn't black?
0: No, no. Okay. I think think the reason this shooting didn't get the same attention is there isn't video of the actual shooting Great. because the yeah. L.A. Sheriff's Department swooped in and destroyed all the cameras and <laughs> confiscated all the video.
1: Yeah, nobody was there or the cell phone.
0: Yeah. With George Floyd, there wasn't really any way the police could do that. There were no. surveillance cameras on streetlights in Minneapolis that captured that. So there was nothing the police Uh could do to sweep this under the rug that
1: that makes that makes a lot of sense to me I was just curious and I I I, I didn't mean anything by the question I just was curious like because I'm trying to figure I mean reading through the story yeah I think it's just like you and I always talk about the things that happened around 9-11 which is a podcast we have to do uh that that disappeared I feel like this is one of those it's a similar situation where June of 2020 people you know yeah. That was a bad time to be a human being anyway.
0: Yeah, it 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 really did just kind of fly under the radar in terms of national attention. And that's one of the reasons we're covering it. There was literally nothing even approaching justice ever done in this case. There was no trial, no arrests, no one's going to jail over it. So there's that. The family is still waiting on justice. So it's a thing that's worth still covering and one of the reasons we're covering it today is because this is still making news sort of tangentially because of things that are happening in the la sheriff's department in terms of details this is every bit as horrifying and insane as the george floyd murder it's just that it's not a competition like police violence is just a horrifying thing in general but there are details to this that may like this this should be a movie this should 100% be a movie. There are movie twists and turns. There yeah. are I don't know if heroes is the right word, but people who at least
1: people coming attempt
0: forward to be yeah, it's a wild story. So let's talk about it. Andre Squadato, he was 18 years old, a Salvadoran American, lived with his parents in the Koreatown area of Los Angeles. That's a place you don't ever want to have to park. Holy shit.
1: Relax, Adam. It's just Koreatown.
0: What's is this? This is I feel like this is from a movie.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I got it. I just heard it from somewhere. once. <laughs> and I say he,
0: he, he was man because he was 18. But let's if you're 18, oh, no. you're still a, a kid. Essentially, That's a baby. He had just graduated high school. He was attending a technical college working two jobs, never been in trouble, never arrested, by all accounts, nice kid. And again, he was just a kid. And so let's go through the L.A. Sheriff's Department version of events first in terms of what happened on june 18th 2020 and this is according to the la sheriff's department at five fifty-two p.m two la sheriff's department officers from the compton station miguel vega and chris hernandez were on patrol when they saw guardado talking to someone in a car that was blocking a driveway and here's the thing you mm-hmm. cannot let a crime like blocking a driveway go no. unaddressed no, got to do something. So Vega and Hernandez screech to a halt, and I'm sure in a very chill and calm manner, approach Andres Guardado. And he immediately starts running. And I think this is one of the things that trips people up, like I'll just say it, white people, but not just that. Like people who don't interact with the police the way people who live in Gardena interact with the police. I think there's always this question of, well, why did he run? If you would have just hung out and answered the questions and kept you cool, none of this would have happened. And it's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around, but sometimes the police are just criminals. If you look into the history of the LAPD and the L.A. Sheriff's Department and South Central Los Angeles, this is a thing that's been happening for decades. Fuck the police was released in 1989, and it had been happening for decades before that. So the police. since the 40s. Yeah, for lack of a better way to put it, the police just hit different in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's not a situation where you see the police and you're like, oh, no, I wonder what they Uh, want. I hope I answer all of their questions correctly. If you're living in Gardena and you get approached by these police, you know there's a chance you might die. So the answer to why did he run is because you run from the police. When they act that way, when your neighborhood is being terrorized by a militarized police force, you fucking run when they come screeching their tires up to you because you're talking to some girls in a
1: car. I have a friend um, who she's she's a black woman and she's got a kid. It's like same age as my son. And we were talking and she said we were it, it was mid it was kind of in the middle of all of this stuff that was happening at that time. And you know, she was feeling exhausted because everybody was calling her and asking her how to become a more conscious ally and all this shit, you yeah. know, and she was just like, I just want to have a drink with someone, but I can't because there's a pandemic. And I was like, I know. And then she said, But I am gonna teach my kids to stay away from the cops. And I was like, there it is. Like, and this is this is a woman who she's a she's a grown-up woman that does great things in the world, and she's got two beautiful black babies that are the sweetest kids and she worries about this every day. It yeah. blows, it just blows my mind because, you know, as a mom, I just, this is such a scary story. Becoming a mother changed, changed how I looked at these stories, that whole, you know, when, when, when George Floyd cried out for his mom,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, that
1: whole thing, I just, it just gets me. Yeah.
0: It's rough. And uh, so is this. Let's uh, get back to what happened. What Miguel Vega claims is that once Guardado started running, conveniently when he was out of the view of anyone else, that's when Miguel Vega claims Andre Guardado pulled a gun, but just kept running, apparently. And eyewitnesses refute that. The chase continues into an alley, at which point witnesses report hearing six or seven shots. And that was the sound of the police shooting at Andres Guardado, and he died on the scene. The family, the community, and a few different LA government agencies were all pretty upset by what happened because it was obvious that things did not occur the way Miguel Vega said they occurred. So everyone's demanding answers. And Alex Villanueva, who if people aren't familiar, you might not be because he's more of a local figure here in LA. He is a bastard. He is a bad person who covers for bad people who do bad things. And in this case, and I know know, you can say, well, it's his job. He's supposed to cover for, for his people. No, all of these people should be fired. Like none of these people should have these jobs. This isn't his job. Everyone wants answers about what happens. So Alex Villanueva comes out and says, "Well, the coroner's working on an autopsy right now, and we are not going to let them release that until we have been able to conduct our own internal investigation into what happened." So in the meantime, uh, the coroner at first stands by this. I mean, it's the sheriff telling, like he's technically a superior, telling you to do something. So they stick by it. In the meantime, Guardado's family releases the results of an autopsy they had conducted independently, confirms he was shot five times in the back and a sixth bullet grazed his arm. But it left a detail out, which was the trajectory of the bullets, which I don't know why it left mm. that out, but they left that part out. Mm. And one of the craziest details. I found in this, by this point, Vega and Hernandez still hadn't even been interviewed as a part of this investigation that Alex Villanueva wanted people to wait on because it was the LA Sheriff's Department's policy that in a case like this, the investigators wait for the person who did the shooting to voluntarily come forward and talk. They don't compel them to talk. So you could conceivably just never talk to these investigators and... There would never be any resolution. So by this point, they haven't even made any statements, which is nuts. That is insane. And
1: uh, I I don't know. I know. I mean, I know somebody who got fired because they sent the wrong FedEx package to the wrong adjacent office. I, I don't understand how these people have jobs. So
0: they haven't even been interviewed by this point. They finally do talk. And what Miguel Vega claims is that Andres Guardado... He was chasing him, he had a gun out, and Guardado went down to his knees to surrender and dropped his gun and then laid flat on the ground. And Miguel Vega claims at that point he put his gun away in his holster and approached to handcuff Andres Guardado, at which point Guardado reached for that gun that he had dropped again. And that's when Miguel Vega says he pulled his gun again and shot Guardado five times in the back. And somehow his partner... Chris Hernandez, who was in the same car as Miguel Vega when Mm -hmm. this chase started, they both get out and chase the same person. So conceivably, Chris Hernandez would only be a couple feet behind Miguel Vega at best. He says he was too far away to visually confirm or deny what Vega says happened after Guardado laid on the ground. Mm. All of this happened so fast, again, that Chris Hernandez somehow can't see it, which how far behind were you? In this chase. And also something that comes up in one of these investigations, that part where Vega says he had Guardado on the ground, so he put his gun away and went to cuff him while his partner was still trying to reach the scene. Very unusual. Mm -hmm. And if you just think a little bit about it, it stands to reason that it would be unusual what you do in that situation. (laughs) You keep your gun on the person who's on the ground, especially if there's a gun right next to him. Right maybe kick that gun away. You might want to take that initiative first, but you keep your gun on that person until your partner arrives and they put their gun on him. Then you go up and you do the handcuffing. That is how it normally works. But Miguel Vega claimed for some reason it went differently this time. And the thing is, the gun almost certainly was not Andres Guardado's. The gun, after they recovered it, it wasn't like registered to him. He didn't, I don't, Probably didn't even have his fingerprints on it. If it did, they probably put the gun in his hand to put fingerprints on it. But it was a ghost gun, which means it's a gun assembled from a bunch of different parts. Mm. So there's no registration, no ID numbers, nothing. So what people suggest happened is that he just shot Andres Guardado and then dropped a gun next to him to make it look like his life was in danger.
1: Where would he have gotten that ghost gun? Just a backup blackmail gun that yeah, you they carry around?
0: Would just carry it with you. Like that's a thing mm-hmm. that it has been reported that police do. Like mm-hmm. there's video of police planning drugs on people during traffic stops. Like where did those drugs come from? Is that your personal stash or is that literally just on you so you can frame people who make you unhappy during traffic stops?
1: There's a precedent.
0: As bad as the news about the police has been in the past few years, I think people still don't get it. It's worse than you realize. Like it's not just isolated incidents of cops committing extrajudicial murders. Like these are institutionalized systemic things that happen within police departments. And yes, there are good cops who want to stop these things. We'll talk about one in this episode Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. happens to those good cops. A lot of times, is they get, at best, intimidated, sometimes just straight up murdered by the mm-hmm. cops they're trying to tell on. Because there is a understanding within the police that you do not tell on other cops for anything. It's called the Blue Wall of Silence. And we did an Unpops episode about it. Yep. Bad times.
1: The whole scope of it is depressing. I mean, the it, pro- look, I, the, what, with what I know about what has happened in the past is that it is not unheard of that a weapon is planted. At a, at a crime scene. No, And not at all. I think what kills me is that there has been such a long history of abuse of power in this specific department, especially like LAPD and LA Sheriff's Department. The kid has no criminal record. <laughs> He's not a bad kid. He was standing in a driveway. He was getting chased. Also, stands to reason just because somebody fires off a gun all it still doesn't mean that you can kill them like that's not a cop's job no it's, it's that's I, I mean i'll just even to pull the lens back further there's no evidence that they were fired at no even even if this ghost gun belonged to this individual and the gun went off that does not mean you can just kill somebody
0: yeah they don't even say that he fired at them
1: i know that's like, what's crazy yeah
0: So yeah, that was Miguel Vega's story. When he finally agreed to speak, his story was, yeah, he reached for the gun when he was laying on the ground. So I I had to shoot him five times in the back. It's like, you can't shoot him in the fucking hand. Like I saw a video once where this guy was threatening to kill himself and he was just sitting in the middle of the street in a lawn chair and had a gun in his hand. And he was like in a standoff with the police. And at one point he moves his left hand and leaves the gun exposed just like kind of dangling from his hand between his legs. And they fucking shot the gun out of his hand. You couldn't have shot
1: this kid in the fucking hand if he was reaching for a gun. Like they're all, they're all totally undertrained and overroided. And, and they want to They're in, they're in the, the shoot, shoot, bang, bang job that they wanted. And they're not, they're not here to protect and serve. And a lot of them are not. And he's also
0: lying because
1: yeah, well, that's what I'm saying is, is that, you know, it's that fucking line from the departed. Like they got the job so they could fire the gun and you know, I don't think all cops are bad. I know a lot of people, it's like the thing that they say, and I totally, that's fine. I get that's your deal, but they are, I mean, my hairdresser has had more training than most cops. (laughs) Like, it's a scary thought, but like, it's true. Like
0: it's. It's and just, also, it's a bad,
1: it's a bad, bad mix.
0: Like if someone, like sometimes people be like, well, my grandfather was a cop and he, he was a good person. And it's like, well, did he see his fellow cops do bad shit and not say anything about it? Right. Did he see his fellow cops do bad shit and help them cover it up? Then sorry, granddad was a piece of shit. Like he was, he was a bad person. He was contributing to this and I get that it's uh, a scary proposition to be a whistleblower in a situation like this. But in that case, maybe just don't be a cop. Like, I don't know if there's room for good cops in the police departments of America I mean, as I, they stand I, right now.
1: As it stands right now, you might have a good point. I have faith that there's something that could turn it around, but I don't know what that's going to be. And
0: It's going to be know, mass firings that will probably result in a vigilante police force rising up out of all those fired people.
1: Hey, good thing we have COVID. Yeah. Because this Villanueva dude has been like (laughs) fucking up with COVID a lot. And this COVID is going to create a lot of change. It's going to be very interesting. And I agree that it's also going to create a lot of weird vigilante movements. There's no way around it. There's no no way around it.
0: So anyway, what's especially crazy, fascinating. I don't know. The story takes a lot of, like I said, twists and turns that seem like something that would happen in a movie. And one of the first ones happens shortly after Miguel Vega issues his version of events. The LA County Coroner, as I mentioned earlier, basically had an embargo put on them saying they could not release the results of their autopsy until the LA Sheriff's Department released the results of their investigation. But when Miguel Vega comes forward with this version of events, Dr. Jonathan Lucas, who is the county chief medical examiner, decided to defy Alex Villanueva and releases the county's autopsy findings, which obviously Alex... Villanueva was very upset he accused this guy of bowing to public pressure and yeah he was bowing to public pressure this was Dr. Lucas's quote he said he did it in the interest of quote being more timely and more transparent in sharing information that the public demands and has a right to see so hell yeah to that that is a uh, rock and roll I like him
1: I hope he's alive and,
0: man, that's not the first time we will ask the, that question.
1: What was
0: especially alarming about the details of that autopsy, they did confirm that Guardado was shot five times in the back, just like the family's independent autopsy did. But they also found that one of the bullets entered his body at a downward trajectory through his torso and embedded in his heart.
1: Uh Uh-oh.
0: The other four bullets entered at an upward trajectory. Now, if he was shot all five times while he was laying on the ground, all of those bullets are going to go in at an upward trajectory. What this suggests is that he was on his knees when he first got shot in the back. And that's the bullet that travels down and then... He gets shot four more times once he lands face down. And those are the four bullets that travel upward. So I wonder why Alex Villanueva didn't want these autopsy findings released.
1: What is his deal?
0: He's just a bad dude.
1: I know, it just blows my mind. He's just a I mean, I, bad guy. I, I just it's like out of L.A. Confidential or something. It really is. It's just very strange that he's a, that this he's a straight up villain. Yeah, he he he's not a good dude. And
0: the thing about the coroner's findings, that all lines up with the claims of one of the very few eyewitnesses who came forward in this case. His name's Andrew Haney. And he is the manager of a business where this shooting occurred. He was interviewed by a local outlet called L.A. Taco, who is great, by the way. They're a newer publication. Uh, They've won a bunch of awards. They do a lot of really good local L.A. reporting. And they covered this story extensively. And we'll link to the reporter's Twitter thread where he posts the videos of this interview with Andrew Haney. And Andrew Haney says... Like, he straight up says Guardado got down on his knees, had his hands behind his head, did not have a gun, and they just shot him once while he was on his knees and then four more times when he fell to the ground. He also says on camera, like, again, this is all, uh, and when he says this, you can see the cameras he's talking about behind him. But he claims the L.A. Sheriff's Department, like, minutes after this shooting, just a bunch of them pulled up, destroyed all of the surveillance cameras on the surrounding buildings, and then confiscated the DVR that would have had the recordings from those cameras. So, again— I hope
1: he's alive.
0: (laughs) That's the thing. If you poke around in the reporting on this enough, at one point the coroner calls for an inquest, which uh, we'll get to in a minute— And during that inquest, it comes out that Andrew Haney had since disappeared, which, God, I hope that was like for his own safety, because I'm not going to lie, if I was him, I'd fucking disappear if I could.
1: That's so scary.
0: It is. And I wasn't able to- This is
1: as close to a running gag as I'm going to be able to get for this episode, guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't able to find any follow up as to whether this guy ever surfaced. Again, I'm certainly not going to call around and ask questions. I don't want the fucking L.A. Sheriff's Department in my door, man. So, yeah, hopefully Andrew Haney is OK. He was one of the few eyewitnesses in this and that he had gone missing, like I said, came out during the coroner's inquest. And the thing about a coroner's inquest Very rare. It hadn't happened in L.A. in 30 years. And what it means is basically the coroner disagrees with the police's version of events so hard that they want to do an independent investigation and release their own findings. Very rare. But in this case, it was warranted because the L.A. Sheriff's Department was clearly lying about what happened here, except... Again, what? Hmm. Blue, blue wall of silence. Oh, right. What happens when they call this inquest? One, Miguel Vega was conveniently out of the country by this point. I'm sure he would have come back if this inquest went a different way. But he was out of the country and he said he was going to plead the fifth anyway. So fine. Chris Hernandez, his partner, he maintained that he wasn't close enough and didn't have the right visual angle to confirm or deny his partner's account. But then also that investigation that Alex Villanueva wanted to have completed before the autopsy results came out, all of the LASD homicide detectives who conducted that investigation all pled the fifth. What the fuck? They were not accused of any crimes. Their whole role in this story was allegedly investigating what happened in the shooting of Andres Guardado. And for some reason they get to this inquest and they're like, Gonna plead the fifth. Don't wanna incriminate myself. And I guarantee you it's because they're probably the ones who destroyed those cameras when they first got on the scene. But after being stonewalled by the LASD, the finding of the inquest was basically Andre Guardado was murdered by someone. Like they couldn't put any new information in it because the LA Sheriff's Department wouldn't talk to them. Wow. And then another eyewitness came forward. Oh shoot. Natalie Cervante, she's a 21-year-old single mother. She was in the car that Andres Guardado was interacting with when the police first approached him.
1: Illegally.
0: Yeah, yeah. Blocking a driveway. hmm First, she says Guardado did not have a gun, and he, when the police pulled up, he just looked terrified and ran, as people often do when the police pull up. She said he ran into an alley. She heard three shots, and that's when she pulled off and then she hears three or four more shots. So her version of events differ a whole lot from the LA Sheriff's Department. And not long after the shooting, she and we'll link to her interview, it was with a, a college newspaper. She claims she was pulled over by L.A. Sheriff's Department officers near her home in Hawthorne, driven to a police station 16 miles away in Lakewood, and detained overnight while investigators interviewed her and or tried to get her to change her version of the story, including trying to get her to claim she'd seen Guardado with guns before. And she refused. This is a quote. They tried to come at me stupid, like scientifically they can prove that's not what happened. What they full quote. <laughs> yeah. After being detained overnight and questioned about this, she was eventually, one, told that she was held on drug charges, but then, two, she was just cited for driving on a suspended license when she left the interview. And then, three, she went to that court date, and turned out they never even filed it. So they didn't even issue that citation. They just wanted to shake her down about this story. So, uh... Hopefully she's all right. Yeah, I hope she's alive. But also I'm sure she is because, again, nothing like if you're hoping this is going to end with <laughs> these two cops coming to justice of some sort. Not really. They were suspended, but not for this. And um, they probably still have their jobs. If they don't have their jobs with the L.A. Sheriff's Department, they're probably working in Albuquerque or somewhere equally corrupt. I'm sure they're still just fine. And then there's the skateboarder. <sighs> this like i i've been
1: quiet in this episode guys cuz it's just depressing.
0: well it's just it just keeps getting crazier and crazier as you go along yeah. like this is already nuts and we haven't even talked about skateboarder one of the really heartbreaking details of this is there was an incident a few months before Guardado was shot involving Vega and Hernandez that in a perfect world would have probably gotten them kicked off a police force altogether before they ever had a chance to shoot Andres Guardado, this incident happened April 2020. a 24 year old man named Jesus Alegria was hanging out with friends at a skate park in Compton and Vega and Hernandez pull up and they start harassing this group of teens at this skate park and Alegria shouts at them to leave the kids alone at which point he and the cops briefly exchange words and then they just Vega just grabs Alegria's wrist. And throws him in the back of their patrol car. Doesn't handcuff him. Doesn't put him in a seatbelt. And they just get in and drive off with him. And he says while they're driving away with him. They tell him that what they're going to do. This is a quote. We're going to get you set up right now. And what they meant was they were going to drive him to a neighborhood that was controlled by one particular gang. And drop him on the street and say that he was a member of a rival gang. And that people should deal with him accordingly.
1: The California version of a starlight tour.
0: Yes, basically. they. So they were hopefully not going to get him murdered, uh, but probably. And so he starts protesting this, obviously. And they start shouting more insults, telling him to shut up. They say, oh, you're scared now, huh? And fortunately, I guess, I don't know if that's the way to put it. But during this encounter... Vega and Hernandez are driving, and at one point, they see a group of teens riding bikes nearby, and like a fucking cat chasing a laser pointer. They're like, oh shit, there's more people we can fuck with. And they just literally steer their car toward this group of teens riding bikes. And Chris Hernandez gets out and chases four of them on foot. Miguel Vega keeps chasing one of them who stayed on their bike down an alley. And Allegria is in the back seat and he's like, we're going to crash. Like there's, this is a very narrow alley and he's not going to make that opening up there. And sure enough, they crash. Keep in mind, he does not have a seat belt on. He's not handcuffed. The not handcuffed thing was probably good in this case. Uh, So when this crash happens, his face slams into that steel divider that separates the front and back seat of a cop car. And He notes at this point, uh, Miguel Vega has not called any of this in. He hasn't called in to say he's arrested someone and put them in the back of his car. He hasn't called to say there's any pursuit happening because everything he's doing is a crime and is illegal and not what police are supposed to do. But uh, Allegria makes note of this. And after this crash happens, uh, Miguel Vega gets out and stands on the hood of his car and just starts looking around for the person he was chasing like some movie shit. And Allegria is like, just let me go. Like you haven't called it in. I'm not going to tell anyone. Just let me go. And somehow that worked. And Miguel Vega let him go. And of course he told like, of course you're, you're going to tell that this happened. And he told immediately, like right away. And for some reason, it still took two months before an investigation was launched eight months before Vega and Hernandez were suspended for this incident. And in that window of time is when Miguel Vega killed Andres Guardado. So had they been properly punished for this incident, which I mean, proper punishment here, they should have gone to jail. They kidnapped a guy like they kidnapped a guy and then only let him go because they committed another crime.
1: I just I don't know what to say. I, there's, there's
0: yeah, there's like there's in cases like this, there's there's nothing to say. Like, it's just so bad blatantly wrong and corrupt and horrifying and just the fact that it keeps happening and keeps happening and caitlin we are not to the craziest part of the story yet i was just about
1: to say what's i'll save that comment for after what you for after you say what you're about to say
0: so the story does against all odds get crazier on top of all the other scandals plaguing the LAPD, the LASD, just law enforcement in general, turns out the LA Sheriff's Department has a huge gang problem. And by that, I don't mean they're having problems combating gang violence. No, it's that there are criminal gangs within the LA Sheriff's Department. A whole bunch of them, dating back decades and decades. We did an Unpops episode about it a while back. I'll link to it in the show notes and that episode was based on something else we'll link to which is a investigative journalism series on a site called knock la written by a woman named cerise castle and it goes into a lot of detail about the history of violent criminal gangs operating within the la sheriff's department it is a massive series there are i think more than 20 different articles She covers, I think, 18 different gangs that either are still operating or all have operated within the L.A. Sheriff's Department at some point. And so far, Alex Villanueva's main answer to this, the thing that reminded me of this story is... A story just came out last week where he has reached out to city officials because he's very angry that they keep referring to the gangs within the L.A. Sheriff's Department as gangs. He doesn't want them referred to as gangs because that's just, again, bowing to public pressure to call these groups something that they're not. And it's like, well, what the fuck are they then? Yeah. And what's especially disturbing about these gangs in relation to Andres Guardado is one of these gangs is called the Executioners. They're based out of the Compton Sheriff's Department station.
1: Very, very chill vibe there.
0: Very, very. And that group was first called to the world's attention by way of a whistleblower named Ostroberto Gonzalez, who was also... his
1: name is really easy to say. Yeah.
0: Well, I, th- I didn't put it in there, but they call him Art. Uh, but fuck it. I can pronounce Ostroberto.
1: I'm just, I just always think it's funny when a whistleblower has a complicated name. And it's he just was, a neat little nugget of irony that's I guess just for me.
0: He was also an LA County Sheriff's Deputy. So again, yes, there are good cops. There, yes, are, there are good there cops are. like Ostroberto Gonzalez, who came I, forward I just, and gets
1: so exhausted by it's an it's not it's not it's not practical to say that we don't need help keeping society together and to keep bad people from doing bad things. Okay? Of What's course. heartbreaking is this happening on on it's like it takes away a community's ability to trust that they're safe. And, oh, absolutely. And then that kind of paranoia par, sorry, that paranoia and mania builds and then everybody's gaslighted and then shit like this happens. It's crazy to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, even going back to fuck the police, that famous NWA song, there's a Bit in that that song. It's just a, a really quick spoken word line. I think it's Dr. Dre who says people in high crime areas view the police as a threat. Yeah. And yeah, that's what it is. Because the police are a threat. Like if you have a disconnect in your head between your version of what the police are. And this version of what the police are, it's because you don't live where this version of the police operates and you're just going to have to take people's word for it, that it is every bit as bad as they make it out to be. And stop with the fucking not all cops. Stop with the my uncle was a cop and he was a nice guy. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Does not fucking Diminish what's happening in cases like this one no. bit
1: and one 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 time is bad enough one time period one time you can't argue that like it, it can't you can't argue it like it's unacceptable yeah. for it to have happened once this isn't the only time i mean the whole point of us covering this is that so much of this was happening at the time that this story got buried and we still we're still not done that's the crazy part adam what happens next
0: when gonzalez comes forward with this claim about this gang operating within the sheriff's the Compton Sheriff's Office, uh, the executioners. One, he says they all sport matching tattoos that feature a bunch, of, a bunch of Nazi imagery and AK-47s. This is a quote from one of the court filings. Members become inked as executioners after executing members of the public or otherwise committing acts of violence in furtherance of the gang. He also said they would celebrate afterward with a 998 party. That is the penal code for an officer-involved shooting. And what that has to do with this case is according to Art Gonzalez, Miguel Vega and Chris Hernandez were what they call prospective executioners, meaning they were LA Sheriff's Department officers who wanted to be in this gang. They just hadn't committed the requisite murders to get in. And his claim is that Miguel Vega was, quote, chasing ink when he killed Andres Guardado. And by that, he means he was trying to get his executioner's gang tattoo. And that's why this child was murdered. Anyway, I next week.
1: I don't, I, I don't even have a tattoo. So there's so many reasons why I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah, I'm not a tattoo person. And that's it's like bottom person. of the bottom of the list of reasons why the, I disagree le- the, with the all least. that
1: least of it and yeah
0: this isn't this isn't conspiracy theory this isn't Mm -mm. conjecture This this is all we'll link to so many articles so many stories this is public information everyone knows about this it's just for some reason not the national news it deserves to be but the la sheriff's department has criminal gangs within their ranks who literally murder people for fun and sport so that's why people run when they get approached by the police. Huh. I need this. So, uh.
1: I need to take a bath or something. I don't know. What kind of wacky jacks are we talking about next week? We're doing something paranormal next week. I, I, not, we gotta I, talk I,
0: about another Robert movie. I, I,
1: I need a ghost doll, like, stat.
0: What if we look it up and it's like Robert fights Black Lives Matter? Like, no! God damn it, Robert. Damn
1: it, Robert. You know what though? Robert would.
0: He would. He would. Robert. What a piece of shit.
1: He is in Florida.
0: He is that doll has white supremacists painted all over his fucking face.
1: He's got just a, a woman with barrel bangs tending after all of his weird haunted doll needs in Key West, Florida, as we speak.
0: Yes. So, yeah, we
1: we'll link. I don't. I don't know what to tell people. Well, My I just, it's just-
0: like. I- I don't know what to tell people either. Just keep this story alive. Like this family deserves justice, obviously. And it hasn't happened yet. And if people just forget this ever happened, they will never get that justice. So uh, just doing what we can to keep it on the world's radar. And uh, ACAB, everybody.
1: Uh, Is it? I don't know. I don't I have such a weird feeling about ACAB. This feels like, I don't know. It just feels so nihilistic.
0: <laughs> so do the police.
1: Oh, yeah. So does everything right now. Yeah. It's so yeah. Know.
0: Just read read more about this. We'll link to it. And uh, if if you if you grew up with a really romanticized vision of what the police do,
1: that I'm happy dismantling. Yeah. I think that's. And silly. here's the
0: thing: it might even be accurate where you lived. And if yeah. so, good for you. Like, then, that's, but just
1: do us the favor of looking into Los Angeles and Orange County police because that's – they're their own problem.
0: Yeah. the They are essentially a military. Like they are California's de facto military. They're the city military. Good times. Yeah. Good, good times. times. Good times. So uh, do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Just
1: go do something nice for someone, please.
0: Go do something I, good. I, Don't be a racist I, Fuck.
1: I just try. I I don't know. I mean, every time we cover something like this, I, I get so angry and I get so sad and I, I feel powerless and, um, I'm sure you do too. And if you made it to the end of this episode, thank you for listening to this because I think you're honoring what this poor kid's family is going through right now. Yeah. And I just, just go, go put something good in the world. It sounds so cheesy, but I believe it's like how you get this out of your body. And how we can like all stay focused and try to keep good things moving forward because if you just marinate in this shit all day it's it's not going to help either so just try to t- transmute this into something good today please i i know i will
0: yeah uh yeah i think that's it
1: yeah i'm i a
0: humdinger I, of a sode
1: i gotta tell you i was looking through these notes last night and i was like i'm not looking forward to this <laughs> And I, I very rarely feel that way about uh a story that you know, recording with my friend Adam, but occasionally we do these and I'm just like, God damn it, this is like
0: Yeah. We've we've taken a real turn with the last couple free episodes. Ruby Ridge and now this. <laughs> Ruby- do we have anything gonna, to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, don't trust any of your government institutions. <laughs> uh, beyond that, patreon.com slash uh,
1: We're going to do something paranormal for the next free episode. We'll do something wacky. We'll do something fun, okay? Yeah. We, we will. We'll figure it out. We'll yuck It'll it be up. Good. We'll yuck it we'll up yuck next it up. time
0: on the free episode. We, Until we then, you can always- you yeah, you could always subscribe and hear us have fun next week. But we
1: have fun on all the Patreon episodes, yeah, people. Until
0: then, you're just going to have to sit in this feeling for a couple of weeks until we yeah, just put something else out for free. Sit,
1: sit with it as your meditation teacher would tell you to do.
0: Speaking, we got a, we got a surprise coming for people. We're going to be putting yeah, a do. thing out that
1: yeah, we, ooh, we have a good surprise coming. Man. But we're not te- we're not telling you we're not yet.
0: telling you yet. But it's coming, and I think people are going to be pretty excited. Subscriber I- and non-subscriber alike.
1: Yeah, this is going to be very fun.
0: Very, very fun. But until then, this was not fun. Uh, But it's always fun recording with you, Caitlin.
1: Hey, Adam, you know, I love you.
0: I love you. Uh, (laughs) And this, oh, this was a bummer. Uh, Do we, uh, we plugged everything? We're done. We're done, done, done. right? Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. (laughs) And <laughs> the